Okay, guys, welcome to this morning's Fife Property Show. Um, this is a pretty controversial issue. Now, I originally did this as Fife people's addictions to their spare bedrooms, but the reality is the housing minister, Chris Pincher, actually suggests that older homeowners, here we go, rattling around in their homes that are too big for them, implied that they were selfish and they should sell up and move to a retirement home when he spoke to the committee in the House of Lords recently. This is that is that is that controversial or what? Roll VT. Okay, guys, I've been interested to know your thoughts this morning about this subject. Uh, on the show this morning, we have got Alicia and Jimmy to talk about this subject as well. It's, uh, I tell you what, it's a hell of a start to the show. It's uh, um, just you sell up your houses that you've spent all these time actually amassing and building up with your family and uh, and go and move to a retirement home and get out of our way. That's how I read it. Yeah, I think if you ask most uh, OEPs, they'd tell you that they've still got pretty plenty of life left in them yet. Uh, yeah. To move to uh, old age pensioner ghettos. But he did say it. He said that many British homes are underoccupied and could be better used by younger families and children. And that that's maybe right. But but to to say it in that sort of mannerism in front of the select committee is not the best option to do. He also went on to say that the government will aim to pursue UK house builders to build more developments suitable for OEPs, freeing up space for their existing homes, for, um, which in turn will open up for more first and second time buyers. Um, so, so why is this an issue? Well, the fundamental problem is actually the housing is of the housing crisis. The point that the supply of five homes uh, to live in is, has not historically met demand, thus increasing property values and in turn rents. Um, consequently, ensuring home ownership is becoming unattainable ambition for the twenty-somethings in Fife. That's that's the reality. Are we, are we seeing this, Alicia? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's understandable that you know either demand needs to drop or supply yeah. needs to rise. You know, mm -hmm. uh, the trend's getting worse for for the coming generations. Yeah, absolutely, Jimmy. Are you seeing this right across the board as well? When you go out yeah. Yeah, I would say um, going on to supply and demand property prices, um, a lot of first-time buyers who used to go for their two-bed ex-local authority semi-detached terraced houses, they're not they're not able, they're getting priced out the market on those now. So they're having to go to apartments and flats, which are bringing the prices of them up, um, especially then obviously it just catapults onto everybody up the, up the chain because there's not enough properties available. Um, yeah. I think um, I think he's got a point. What he's saying about um, them selling up, but I think he's gone worded it um, pretty poorly. <laughs> yeah. James actually says, uh, "Good morning, folks. Got a warning that your content is explicit." And and really, <laughs> I actually I genuinely feel like very emotive on the subject and the fact that he's telling 
uh, the which is effectively my parents that they're they're living in too big a house and and they have got a duty and responsibility to sell their house and move to a different accommodation. Uh, the reality is uh, they spent their whole life building it up to have that house. So why on earth shouldn't they deserve it? That's the key here. That's just my thoughts on it. Anybody else got any thoughts on that? Well, absolutely. Everybody, uh, their 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 entire life's emotional investment, not just capital investment, but emotional investment is in that property. It's where they saw their kids grow up. Um, yeah. There is also that wider societal question, though, you know, as we look at, uh, you know, on a, on a broader political spectrum, the there is a, a social care crisis. Mm -hmm. And I think that the Conservatives have really just looked at this in isolation uh, yeah. and gone for what they perceive is the easy fix. But I think perhaps it might have been perhaps a good idea to suggest that families move back to the family home, move back in with grandma. If they've got two or three spare bedrooms that they could use, I'm then sure that's grandma taken care of in her <laughs> old age, you know, that we can't afford as a state to keep paying for the elderly. They could stay in their homes much longer and watch the grandchildren move, uh, grow up. It's a very, it's a very continental thing to do, eh? Very much so. Yeah. They don't have the problems that we have currently. Mm -hmm. I can guarantee you, I will not be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, don't get me. I mean, don't get me wrong. I admire the Scottish government's plans to help first-time buyers with their first home. But the, the initiative to buy first-time buyers to help them buy their homes in the beginning. But yet it was only a target of a, a small minority of first-time buyers in Scotland, and it was limited funds. And it uh, was fully, fully subscribed this year in the matter of eight days. Um, that's the reality. And, and then there's other initiatives as well. But they don't they don't really go beyond anything other than, than actually providing support and funding. But nobody's actually out there saying that they're not building up enough houses. That's the reality. Um, or do they just want to bury their head in the sand? I think the Scottish government in some aspects need to be um, what's the word I'm looking for? What they've done with the first home fund and other, other sort of help for first time buyers is actually No, I've lost Jimmy's sight. Ah, because somebody's trying, he's on his phone and somebody's trying to phone him. Yeah. <laughs> happening in England with all the stuff like first home funds but um, you're right Jim if you look at what properties are actually getting built right now if they actually looked at what what is actually required um, and people buy it purchasing then um, I think that could solve the issue the amount of time people right now that we've been out to ever since I've been at the company right now that they love where they are yeah. so they're not sell unless um, so if you I think you only have to look at the last bungalow development that was built in Samoa's lucky homes how quickly that sold out um, yeah let's take a couple of a couple of comments from uh, James it could have an impact on the children's inheritance absolutely um, and they really don't want wealth handed down unless it benefits the government of course uh, that's really sometimes and, and then Paul Paul Henderson actually comes and says Yes, the government started taking 40% inheritance tax after 325,000 downsize. Uh, that actually is locked in the inheritance tax until, I think it's 2025. Um, so they've no, they no intention of actually increasing that amount and enjoy your money before the care homes do. 
That that is a valid point. You know, there is a valid point in there. It's like you know, succession planning and handing your wealth. And there's so many people all go out to now, and you've probably seen it yourself, Jimmy and Alicia. You've probably experienced this as well, where where they're actually having to sell the family home to pay for care costs. And and yet the reality is, and let's be honest about this, the person sitting over the table from them is actually getting paid by the state, and they're having to pay out their own savings, which should have been handed down to their younger generation to benefit from. Is that fair? Right, and see people that like that situation, you can quite understandably get the emotional and sort of distress and frustration that some people are obviously getting it for free and they're having to sell everything that their families work for to, to fund it. It's, um, it's not good to actually witness or even hear. I think there's also a, a bit of a taboo around planning for the, shall we call them the twilight years. Uh, an awful lot of uh, the elderly just do not want to discuss it. They don't want to face it. Um, and uh, it, it's, it causes a real problem, actually. You know, I, I, the happiest uh, elderly people I know are those who have faced the reality and sold their properties and have gone together often into yeah. uh, either sheltered housing or indeed care homes. Uh, and they then have their, their, um, their money is freed up. They can enjoy their money while they still have all their faculties to do so. So yeah. I think we have to, as a culture, start facing the realities of our um, mortality. Do you think it's the, impression that, it's the impression that the word care home gives? You know, when you say that, you know, it's like all these connotations and um, uh, uh, stereotypes of what care homes and homes are like. Because there, there's so many programs on the television that, that that put fear in people of of these these things. But but probably a classic example of um, maybe a sheltered accommodation or something similar in the private market is McCarthy Stone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, my my grand, for instance, she's always said that she's never going into never going into care. She'd rather just stay by herself and struggle for the rest of her days and go into care. Um, so it's definitely, I think it's the way it's perceived rather than a McCarthy and Stone or um, a shelter accommodation. It's like um, mm. it's Drysdale Gardens in Cooper is a good example of that. Where it's they a do hugely popular development, Drysdale. As soon as something comes on, it's away. Yeah, and it's, and it's at an amazing price point for Cooper right in the middle of the town as well. So more stuff like that could could definitely be the answer. I think McCarthy and Stone are the only one I can really think of. Or two that I can think of is Anstruther and uh, St Andrews. Yeah. And the price point of them are quite high when you compare that to sort of a Drysdale Gardens in the middle of Cooper, in the middle of Cooper, where walking distance everything. It's not a comparable, really. Yeah, um, you've got Beald Housing. I mean, Beald actually runs that complex over in St Andrews, um, uh, which, which has got hundreds of units in there. Um, but it, but it is a well managed uh, uh, facility, and and the great thing about it is it's actually easy walking distance into the town centre and all the amenities, and it's a stone's throw away from the beach, um, yeah. as well. So that's a, that's a really good option for other people as well. To give you an idea how this is a drop in the ocean, the government sponsored the independent report by the Barker um, and the Housing Supply Report in two thousand and four, and it and it, it and it was tasked at looking what could be done for the le to level the playing field for everybody. Um, the housing needs for the UK. The findings in the report were that the UK needed 240,000 homes built per year. Now, I would argue it's probably 260,000 or more, 
um, because um, it's it's we, we do need a lot more since then. And the growing and aging population, especially the aging population, is the biggest issue here. So the supply of property met by the supply of property met by demand. Since 2000, the average number of properties built in the UK uh, each year has only been about 178,000 houses. That's crazy. I mean, how are you going to keep up with that? I mean, in Scotland itself, I estimated in the last three or four years they've been, in short of about twenty, about five thousand houses. We've been building. We've required 25,000, but we've only been building around about uh, 20,000. So we've been still short. And then you've got the indication of migration. I mean, migration, net migration in Scotland is 20,000 people a year. It's like, how, you, how do you keep up with that? Um, th this means we've, we've got around 62,000 homes in, in short per year. Therefore, after 20 years, this annual shortfall, um, we currently we currently have a, a shortfall of uh, around about 1.2 million homes. I think it's a multifaceted approach that's needed here. You know, yes, we have to be building many, many more homes, which of course takes time. And immigration is necessary immigration, but it yeah. is going up at a far, a far faster rate than we are able to build those homes. And so we need to start looking at what you've looked at in the past, Jim, just recently, the re-employment of vacant property. You know, we, we start, yeah. we need to get that back into the housing stock. It's amazing to think there's over 2,000 homes empty in Fife. Now, I thought originally when I was saying on a previous broadcast a couple of weeks ago, we've probably got about 800 to 900. But then I actually spoke to the Empty Homes Initiative officer and, and she said, actually, no, it's, it's more than 2,000 that's actually empty. So 2,000 yeah. homes empty and Fife's a lot of houses. How do we get them back into, into use? As well as, as here's the classic, here's the one here I want to add. Uh, this, this actually tells you everything. Look at the difference here. Now, look at that chart. This is the housing numbers since 1949 up to 2019. But look at the green one. This was local authority housing getting built. And then when we hit the early 1990s, or thereabouts, it, it dropped off like a stone. And no longer, nothing gets done. So there's no housing well, getting built. And yet the private market is still sustaining what it was before. And then the UK, the housing associations are still at what they were before as well. Nobody out there is building anymore. And really, um, it, it comes back to what you were saying, Alicia, about the multifaceted approach. Um, I think we need to build more council housing again, more affordable housing. Well, we do. And, and in actual fact, I think that was a very positive stepping stone that the Scottish government took to, uh, you know, a very controversial, quite a difficult decision to withdraw the right to buy your council house. Because that graph that you just showed, it corresponds precisely with the time when Margaret Thatcher then allowed people to buy their council house. Now, you know, what is the point in a council house building affordable home, in a, in a council building affordable homes, in order for them to be purchased at rock bottom prices to put that money into individuals' pockets? There is a social need for council housing. It shouldn't be about creating profit for a few. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so therefore, the one one opinion that could resolve the housing crisis in the government, literally look at closer at the home, concentrate on matching households with the appropriately sized homes. And this is what the government have shown a light on: um, people with too many spare rooms uh, and spare bedrooms. So, this is what the article was about. You know, our addiction to spare bedrooms. So is having a spare bedroom something that in this day and age is particularly wasteful? Well, let's look at the numbers in Fife, um, for example. Um, so would you believe that 47,000 households and actually have one spare bedroom uh, extra? Uh, so, okay, 
And 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 when you think about it, in light of lockdown, it's actually come in handy, isn't it? Because literally, I'm in a well, <laughs> I'm in a I'm in a sitting room, but but really I'm in a spare room, and that's a green screen. <laughs> Everybody didn't notice that. <laughs> um, but literally, that's where the spare is getting taken up. So let's look at the households with uh, two or more properties, uh, two or more bedrooms. Uh, so households with two or more bedrooms spare and five is 68,000 almost. So there's 68,000 properties and five out of the 161,000 with two or more spare bedrooms. I mean, I'm no surprised where you're actually... You're surprised by that, Jimmy, aren't you? That's 42% of five households compared to the Scottish average of around about 42.6. So, you know, that's actually quite a startling statistic. Um, I can see where there's spare capacity in the five housing market then. Yeah, that's actually frightening. Um, and now I can see why the, the five market is booming because there's not enough... Um, properties on the market and those houses where people are looking for home offices and stuff like that um, yeah. they can't buy them because they're all holding on to them that's why I said at the start of the show that I think um, the topic that we're talking about is controversial but and the way he's worded it is incorrect but I do understand what he's saying because I've got hundreds of people right now on our system looking to upsize but they can't they can't find a property that they would move into. Um, to be honest, I'm one of those one of those people that of all those people that would love a spare bedroom or a, or even two. Um, I wouldn't even say they were spare because I would use them one for a home office and one probably for a playroom for 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 the kids. So, um, but leaving them empty is uh, a different a different topic. Um, and I actually know a couple of people on our on our on our of our clients that have got spare bedrooms and actually closer to that in-laws have got them themselves, but they use them for the yeah. grandkids to stay, but it's probably once in a blue moon, you know? So how do, how do we get that moving? I mean, the government hit the social housing sector with a bedroom tax in 20, 2012, um, also known as the under-occupancy charge of the spare room subsidy, which meant that council homes, you would receive actually less housing benefit or the housing cost element in universal credit claimed if they were lived in a housing association council property and they were deemed to have one or more spare bedrooms. Now, the Scottish government has actually taken that away, haven't they? The Scottish government don't actually acknowledge that anymore. They actually decided to put their hand in their pocket and actually remove that burden on people, which was actually yeah. one of the benefits of living in Scotland, isn't it? <laughs> well, it certainly is. I'm not quite sure why uh, certain sections of society should be punished for having a, an office in their home or a playroom for yeah. their kids. You know, I, I think that's pretty inequitable. So it was good of the Scottish government to what they did was they supplied funding to councils who would just pay that tax on behalf of the tenant. Um, but, you know, is that a great use of public money to actually be mitigating the incompetencies of the United Kingdom government? I don't know. Um, but I think it, what, what you were saying there, Jimmy, um, I think that statistic that you quoted, Jim, hides some realities, is that those yeah. bedrooms aren't just sitting there gathering dust. A lot of the time they are used or indeed they are held in reserve for kids that have gone off to study at university yeah. or that sort of thing. You know, it's not that they're just empty and not being How many used. times does that actually happen, though? Because my mum always, my mum, hey, you're, you're preaching the converted here because my mother and father live on the links, okay? 
and and they've got um one two three four four bedrooms one two three three public so four bedrooms three public it's just the two of them and and the reality is my mum my mother does the you know let's decorate the room it's like wait a minute nobody's slept in that room for the last five years does it really need decorated again because it's never changed and it's still in perfect condition and and Literally, it's like, but the, the grandkids, or you might come to visit, or somebody might come to visit, and 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 often that doesn't happen. And and when I when I point out to a lot of people when I go out to see them, I say, well, why not just downsize your house, release all that money to give to them to help them, and then the come the come visit you subsequently, maybe once a year or once every two years, why not just put them up in a, a local hotel then, if that's the case. Because I tell you what, it'll be cheaper than actually locking all your capital and all your money up in one big massive house. Um, and then you don't get access to it and you don't actually enjoy the benefits of it because it's locked up in that house. That makes sense. Do you think people realise how they can use and maximise the capital in the house? That's the problem. Yeah. It seems that the government's actually concentrating on a group of the, the bulk of homeowners with spare bedrooms. And the older owner occupiers of larger properties in the 60s and 70s where their kids have actually flown the, the nest. However, there may be many explanations here why these mature homeowners don't downsize. And this is the one we're talking about. These people have lived in the same house for 30, 40, 50 years, as you've said, Alicia. And when one matures in life, many people don't want to depart what they see as their family home. Much time has been invested in making friends in their neighbourhood in the area. And it's nice to have those those rooms in case, it's like what you've said, every grandchild decides to visit at the, sa at the same time. Every grandchild decides to visit at the same time. Christmas. And they've brought their friends and their friends' friends. But is that a selfish point of view? Are we addicted to our spare bedrooms? Or, or let's be honest, should the government keep their nose out of what, where people live? Well, yes, I, I'm inclined. My personal response to that is, yeah, if you have striven all your life and you've raised the money and you have bought your house, your family home, you should be entitled to live in that home until until you choose to do otherwise. I, th I think uh, it's a pretty, um, I don't know, right-leaning policy to start forcing people out of their homes. Yeah, I think Mugabe tried that once, didn't he? Oh, that's uh, <laughs> that's a bit controversial. Yeah. Uh, well, I would ask the actually ask the minister of uh, superficially sizable houses uh, should uh, should be kicking you out of Fife, your Fife home you worked for and have spent much of your life in, and and why is it assumed that the retired homeowner, homeowners all, always want to downsize to smaller bungalows or apartments? Many love their spacious living rooms and their kitchens, which are typically found in the bigger houses. Now, it's very rare, actually, when you downsize to a newer property now that you actually get all the space available. Um, you don't actually see that anymore because house builders aren't required to do that. And they tend to go on focusing on the minimum standard that they can get away with to maximize the profit, don't they? Yeah, 100%. A lot of people that I've booked in to go and see properties when they're considering downsizing, the first thing that they say is, oh, it's too small. They're too small. It's too small. Um, so it's a big, I think it takes a bit of time for them to come to realise what what space actually suits them from their four or five bedroom big detached properties to their two bedroom semi-detached bungalows. Yeah. Well, my mum always keeps saying, where will I put all my furniture? 
<laughs> I'm going like get rid of some of it, but doesn't it happen? They're, they're no, they're, they don't want to move. Uh, my, my dad says, "Well, I'll be gone soon anyway." <laughs> so what does it matter? <laughs> yeah. Pragmatic approach to things. <laughs> it's like, well, I'll be gone, so it doesn't matter anyway. It's like, oh, thanks. I'll just deal with it then. One side of the coin, the government has announced an increase in the tax burden on British, the British public to rise to its highest level since the early 1950s to pay for the care and NHS. Yet on the other side of the coin, recently cancelled vote-losing policies. Um, so mature people going into care do not need to sell their homes. Uh, which, if you think about it, they won't live in because they're going into long-term care. Um, that doesn't make sense then. Surely if you're going into long-term care, you would probably want to sell the home anyway. Um, whilst at the same time, to muddy the waters, they're suggesting to mature homeowners, they have to move out on those same large homes to free it up for younger families. Um, does anybody realise that the government didn't realise what they're doing? Is that really what it comes down to? Well, I think that's the real politique of everything, isn't it? A, a politician is always going to have to balance polit policy solutions with votes. Um, yeah. And it may well be a very sensible solution, but if it's going to lose votes, then they will, uh, if they get voted out, they're never going to be able to uh, enact that policy. So there is always that balance. And sometimes it just makes, it makes fools of politicians, really, mm -hmm. unfortunately. I mean, the subject of downsizing is really a delicate one to unravel, isn't it? Um, we all know mature homeowners that if they move to a smaller five home, we lose their space, they take for granted, and we've been able to have their grandchildren over. Uh, remaining in your large five home is not greedy, really. It's just an accepted, uh, accepted human longing to enjoy life uh, after 50 years of working and paying your dues and duties and taxes. Um, you could save, you could save more to manage retirement homes, uh, yet many are very small and quite expensive. I mean, one of the big one of the big things about the McCarthy Stone is the the ongoing management costs are quite astronomical. Yeah, we've um, sold a property in there in the last couple of years, and the the numbers that they were talking about for um for the fees for the management fees etc. is um, quite frightening, really. Yeah, and are people prepared to pay that just to keep to keep that going? And and that's the big thing that puts a lot of people off in terms of buying it because they are a high margin business when you look at their underlying accounts. Because I've looked at them before, um, a lot of investors invest in McCarthy Stone because of their high margin approach to things, um, and they're they're a limited capacity when you think about it. So they don't do volume; they just do limited capacity. But it does keep that high margin in terms of what they're doing. And there is people out there that are prepared. Pay, pay that price for that service. That's really what comes down to, doesn't it? Supply yeah, I, think, I think that's why they build in places like Anstruther and St Andrews, probably arguably two of the most desirable towns, villages in yeah. in with large pockets of affluence as well. So because you need that you need that wealth in order to be able to purchase those properties. But um but yeah, no, it's it's very difficult to find a balance. I mean, I, I, I speak on the phone quite a lot to people who are who are just beginning this to face this question, and so many of them, when you talk about what sort of property they want to move into, they really shy away from the um, sheltered housing sort of model where. Yeah. Every time they go out, all they're going to see is people with zimmers. That's what's in their mind is 
or elderly doddery people with zimmers and yeah. they still want to be part of a community they still want that mix in society they want to be part of it they don't just want to be isolated and stuck off into a complex somewhere yeah maybe they should be doing things like on-site gyms and that as well then I, you know, I think we like, do need to think about infrastructure, you know, and social spaces as well. Yeah, possibly even an indoor swimming pool. You know, if you've got a number of people in a complex and, and you build it big enough, then surely there's a facility to actually accommodate an indoor swimming pool or some sort of facility like that for 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 that. And that would encourage a lot more people to do that if you, if you had that in, 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 in-house. Absolutely. And since we're talking about things from a political angle, you know, more and more, the Scottish government is looking towards preventative health measures, you know, and we're trying to um, push a a healthy lifestyle. Well, that would be a very good example of how to achieve that. Yeah. I mean, in my previous articles of, uh, in my blogs in Five Property Market, meaning I've always said there's, there's never enough bungalows being built. And, and anyway, why should you have to relocate and wave goodbye to all your neighbours uh, who have become friends to you and, and give us your support network? Um, there may be a case that by some that mature downsizers could could be given stamp duty breaks to get them to downsize, you know, incentives. Um, yet I'm not sure how this could be placed. And it doesn't cure the fact that the increasing overall supply in the UK property market. I mean, it's, it's, here's, here's, the, here's the one here. The real issue isn't spare bedrooms. It's the need to change the planning rules to increase the number and the type of new homes being built that will satisfy the mature homeowners. That's that's really hit the notch, the, the hit it on the nail, wasn't it? Yeah, I think we do. We need far, far more single-story houses. Um, you know, unfortunately, they take up a, a bigger footprint, and that's why builders yeah. are reluctant to to build them. But the need is clearly there. It's profit maximization, isn't it? Yep. And and I had often talked about this previously, and um, when land was actually released, that the council possibly put a, a condition on the land saying that you can get planning, but you've got to build bungalows. Um, and that's it. Um now I was adamantly told that that's not possible to do. Yeah, I don't actually believe that. Um, because I've known in the past that land's actually been rezoned for social housing purposes, therefore it's actually decreased the value of it. And the council's been able to sell it off at what they call as best value for money. And, and I've actually witnessed that. So why wouldn't they be able to insist if they give planning that it has to be only for bungalows? Um, yeah, someday they may be able to tell us if that's possible or not, but I'm, I'm convinced it is. I think they can, yeah. Yeah. David actually, Dave Sleet actually says the collective failings of integrated community settings is reflective in the breakdown of the support networks. Um, is, is that one of the reasons why why we are where we are? Break down the support networks? Yeah, I think we've all become quite selfish as a, as a society. I think we're yeah. all pursuing our own interests. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's the media that drives that forward and this impression? Do you think it's the reality television programmes that's all about me, me, me? Um, or, or, or is it something else underlying or is it? Just oh my goodness, how far back do you want to go with that one? Uh, I think it started long before reality TV programs. You know, you could start looking at, you know, the 1950s with the uh, with the creation of all the domestic technology. And yeah. from that point on, the, you know, capitalism, I guess, drives it because we are a consumerist nation. We're a greedy nation. We always want to be having the new thing and we need the space 
for all mm -hmm. these lovely new things that we keep buying. So do you think it's the media that's actually done that then? It's the media it puts that across and it's the it's the companies. I mean, at the end of the day, the companies are the companies. They want to sell your product mm -hmm. um, because that's what keeps them in business. That's what makes the money. But but is our culture is our culture driven by that? Is that is that what we're seeing? Yeah, I think in part it is. I think we I think what we see on our screens uh, inspires a desire in us, and that's we strive to achieve that desire. And so, what would previously have been time valuable time spent with our family is now spent trying to increase our wealth in order to achieve the lifestyle that uh, that the television tells us we should be aspiring to that's i think you've hit that nail on the head it's like what the media tells us we should be trying to achieve to um yeah. when in actual fact we should be thinking possibly about what we want to achieve or or and in, in, in terms of this article here or what we've spoken about just now it's what the it's what the person it's in the bigger property wants to achieve it what they want um and it's like what you say about the family unit um, it's possible that we should become more European and people move in together. I've actually had that before, where a couple of families have actually sold uh, two or three houses and they've actually bought a bigger house and they've all moved into that in order to provide long-term care for their uh, elderly parents. Yeah, and I've, he I've heard that's actually been quite successful as well. You know, it it's if you cast your mind back, uh, highly unusual for me to, to quote David Cameron, but he made an endeavor to start measuring the country's happiness scale. Mm -hmm. And he was widely ridiculed for that. But actually, I think it's probably a better measure than some others that polit politicians use. You know, what's the point in life if you can't be happy? Uh, so maybe we should start measuring our happiness rather than our stuff. I think it was James May that actually I was watching one of his programmes where he visited one of the prime ministers of a smaller country. And actually the prime minister said, so what? what is it? You know, what? And, and he drove about in his normal basic car. Um, he went to he went to his job while he was the prime minister as well at the same time. And he says, so, so this is unusual, but how do you measure your success of your country? And he went, happiness. It's we 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 prime that we we pride that as our main drive forward. Now most people would look at them and say, They've not got the latest model of car. They've not got the biggest house in the block, and 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 they would look they would look and see that as a disadvantage, but but they didn't think it like that. They actually looked at their advantage of being a happier nation and a more prosperous nation as a result in terms of how they felt rather than what they had. Yeah, I think that's Finland. Finland does that as well. Yeah. I spoke to someone last night about this. I actually, I actually uh, grilled them on it because they were like, I want to really upsize in, in my property. I want to get a bigger property. I'm living in a one-bedroom flat. We're thinking about buying one of these big, massive houses over in Barrett Development in Kirkcaldy. Um, Kingsgate, I think it is, development. And uh, and we're gonna, it's going to be £320,000. And I, and I said, uh, okay, so do, do you really need this? Or is it the fact that you just want it? Oh, what do you mean? Well, well, think about this. Is it something you need? In other words, you have to have it because your family unit's grown bigger, or is it something you just want because you desire it, because you just want the biggest, and you have you have that in your mind? And and they they actually determined it was actually something they just wanted, and then mm -hmm. after the conversation uh, um, uh, at the end of it. They actually, they actually said to themselves, "Well, actually, um, I would probably, I'd probably think about a 
probably a, a smaller property, and that'll allow me to then take the funds that I was actually going to do with a bigger property and actually reinvest in things which will actually help me later on in life um, than actually just blow it all at once. Most people live from hand to mouth. You know that yourself. Um, oh, yeah. Every single month, there's too much month at the end of the money. And and that's why I teach people. It's like, and I tell people, it's, it's, it's know what you want. It's what you need. Live within your means. And later on, you'll have the lifestyle you always wanted. Um, whereas, whereas a lot of people just want to buy the biggest and the best and, and mortgage themselves up to the hill. I'm getting like a parent, I'm gonna. <laughs> so typical. Oh, my dad used to tell me, and it's like, oh, I'll never be like you. <laughs> it's like, I'm talking like them right now. Um, status symbol, is though, isn't it? We all like our status symbols. We like to prove that we're a wee bit bigger and a wee bit better than our peers. Yeah. yeah, possible. I've got over it. I mean, I, you know, I just drive about in a basic car. It's like I have a house that facilitates my needs. That's about it. I've got no desire to run out and do anything. I've always said if I have, if I have a, <clears throat> if I have a desire at some point to run out and buy a, an Aston Martin or anything like that, I would probably rather just give it away to charity rather than actually do something like that. But that takes a that's a huge mindset shift over the years, and that's an understanding that realizing that. There's an abundance of wealth out there, and wealth is not scarce as a result. Whereas most people go with the attitude that wealth is scarce, and they think they should hoard everything and keep a hold of everything and acquire everything. Whereas I don't think like that anymore. Um, but that's a different story. That's a different show completely. Uh, let's get back to the National House Builders. Have they exploited the ham-fisted planning rules since the 1980s? But no political party seems to have this answer. The housing minister, Chris Pincher, might say he wants to persuade builders to build more sustainable homes for mature people, yet the government's action don't match his words at all. That's the key here. Nobody's out there saying you've got to build bungalows. I get it every time. I'll tell you where I get it most of the times. is St Andrews. Classic example. When you go to the elderly population in St Andrews, they're in the big, massive houses, right? And they'll just two of them rattling about in a house. It's a four bedroom, a three public. And their first thoughts to themselves is, I'm not really, I'm not really sure where I can go to because I want to live in St. Andrews, but there is nothing to buy in the size that I need because every single house that's getting built, if there's any new builds, they're all they're all big, they're all family homes. So the the houses that are are, are out there are 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 just too big for them to go to. So it's out of the frying pan and the fire, isn't it? Yeah, and I think there's also, I think, a little bit of maths to get your head around. You know, don't forget that a lot of these elderly people, they bought their homes decades ago for, you know, very small numbers of thousands. You know, you could, they, they maybe bought their home for 10, 20, 30, 40,000 pounds. Now they look at the price tag of tiny little properties going yeah. for, Two, three hundred thousand pounds, and they think, why would I? Why yeah. would I trade this palace, this giant house of mine, for a teeny weeny little modern thing? You know, it, but they don't realise that the house, their house, is going up by that same value as well. That's that's yeah. probably key. So they don't realise that the house that they bought for twenty thousand pound is now worth six hundred thousand um, pound, and it's all, and it's all it's it, in most cases it's all. Um, it's all the same. It's it's the same all the way through proportionally, because the house you the house you've got has gone up twenty percent. 
the house that you're buying has gone up 20%, just like when the market crashed, when we, we had the credit crunch, we were telling everybody, well, if you've got an F8 within your house, the house that you've gone down has gone down 20%, but the house that you're buying has gone down 20%. So it, it's it's like for like on a proportionate basis. Um, in the Queen's speech in spring, the government announced a proposed new planning system for for the England and Wales market, so to speak. Simpler, faster producer, um, 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 schemes, producing local development plans and everything else, and major schemes, assessing environmental impacts, uh, negotiating affordable homes and infrastructures in layman's terms to allow more buildings to take place. However, the word coming out of the government uh, those in those plans could be cancelled following the Conservatives' surprise defeat and their, their recent by-election. This is what you say about Alicia, about it's all about um, popularity. Isn't it? Um, it will determine. So if, if that's an issue, then they'll all, they'll run out and just change it, uh, just to get into power. That's crazy, yeah. Well, that's it. That's that's one of the key problems in society is that our our parliamentary terms are four, sometimes five years maximum, and it, to really make an impact and create societal change, it takes a long time. Yeah. So we, our politicians really work to five-year plans and they should be working to 20 to 25-year plans. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people out there might ask, what's this got to do with Scotland and, and its planning regulations? Well, the Town and Country Planning Scotland Act in 1997 is the basis for the planning system and sets out the roles for the Scottish ministers and local authorities with regard to development plans and management plus enforcement. This is the, the TCP Act. Um, which substantially amended the planning, etc., for Scotland uh, Act 2006. Um, it wouldn't surprise me that if the planning system was overhauled south of the border, Hollywood would change the Scottish planning system to suit us, hence the importance. So whilst the English government decide what to do, what can mature Fife homeowners do if they feel they want to downsize? Um, now, this is, this is where I get back to saying the, the key here is the biggest fear this is it. The biggest fear many Fife homeowners have is that when they sell their Fife home, they'll be unable to find anywhere else to buy, thus making themselves homeless. Jimmy, what's your answer to that? We get this every time, don't we? I'm not going to have somewhere else to go. So how do we manage that? Well, we need to... People need to realise that their house is they're in control of their property they only move out when they want to but i would say the key is one the marketing um to make sure you're seeing the widest audience so you can have a pick of the buyer um and then managing the expectations of the buyer when they come through the door um informing everybody and being clear and giving everybody clarity that the date of entry needs to be x y or z so we've had at the moment a lot of people purchasing locky homes where they need date of entries, long date of entries, and then people actually by purchasing or building their own properties and needing date of entries up to 12 months. But yeah. in this market and with the correct marketing, that is fine. But it's all about managing. So, so the key the is in this, in this market just now, what we're saying is what we're saying is that it's not really the price that's the most important thing because it will get it regardless. I mean, that's the thing. Probably the most important thing now is the circumstances surrounding the offer itself. In other words, the terms, the heads of terms, the the entry date, um, the the um, are you going to are you going to conclude this straight away? Are you going to put down a non-refundable deposit so you're guaranteed? Because if I have my entry date twelve months from now, you know how do I know in the eleventh month that you're not going to pull out? 
and then I'm going to leave. I'm going to be left high and dry because you found somewhere else, and that's where it's key to make sure you get the. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, wrong, Jimmy. Uh, make sure you get the concluded missives done as quick as possible, but equally make sure you get a non-refundable deposit. Uh, Jim, we've done that with our property recently. I also had a buyer. The thing, the problem is right now is the conveyancing process is taking so long because there's still a backlog, back backlog of properties. I think there's about 1,200 properties under offer or sold in five. So you can imagine the work that they have right now. Um, so we had a seller that was a date of entry of March, which is perfectly acceptable in this with all that backlog of work. And they were worried that this person was meant to be a cash buyer and could ultimately pull out. But I said, well, that's when we need to discuss potentially a deposit and missive signed within X, Y or Z date, which yeah. we managed to agree. Are you finding this more and more as well, Alicia? That the, you know, the, 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 the biggest problem is the fact that people feel that they don't have somewhere to go. Absolutely. And it, we've, it, it is a catch-22 situation. You know, if, if everybody thinks I'm not going to sell my house until I've found somewhere to buy, well, then yeah. there are no houses to buy because you are not putting your house on the market. So uh, a, a really chronic catch-22. And I think we it, it is... Um, it behoves us to make clear that a good estate agent should be able to make that process pain-free for you. We should be able to make sure that the, the date of entry gives you sufficient time to find a home. We should be able to manage that and propel the missives forward so that they are signed so that you have security yeah. to begin your search. You know, And I think people really, uh, especially the elderly who haven't moved for a long, long period of time, mm -hmm. they don't really realize what their estate agent is for. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, because you know, I, I think probably their experience before would have been, we just we just take the, the, the house to the stage and they sell the house. They don't do anything else in between because that's what we've always thought happens and that's what's always happened when we bought our house. So their experience, you're probably right there, actually. That's a good point. Their experience from 20 years ago or 30 years ago of an estate agent and what their services are is completely different than what it is today. Well, that's right. And I think estate agents had quite a bad reputation for that. They were just seen as advertising men and, and women. Yeah. You know, it was it, all we were there to do is put pretty pictures in a in a state in an estate agent's window. Uh, and and then they took money for that. But actually, that role has changed substantially. And I think yeah. that is helped, actually, by the improvement with digital communication. We do much do think, more. Do you, think that's, do you think that's more because we become more, um, let's say, uh, European in our approach, maybe Australian in our approach and American in our approach to a state agency? Because they 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 tend to be they tend to more uh, they tend to take over more of the negotiation, more of the legal process. In terms, I mean, if you go to America, Australia, they do all the legals. Um, you don't have solicitors that do legals at all. They're stages to all, and and we can't do that. Um, but we certainly, I know we certainly progress, Chisa. I think we're heading in that direction. I think certainly the American influence has been quite strong on a state agency in, in Britain. Mm -hmm. um, and by and large, I think we've actually reached a place that has taken, we've got slightly the best of both at present. Yeah. You know, um, There isn't that sort of harsh commercialization of the property to the quite the same extent as there is in America. Um, yeah. But 
but we certainly we have our clients back and we are there in order to make that journey smooth for them but would it surprise you to to know that we are actually the cheapest fees in the whole of europe in terms of a state agency yeah we're the cheapest yeah, if you go to france if you go to uh, spain you go to anywhere else you're paying six percent to eight percent to sell your house if you yeah. come to britain you're an average fee about one to one and a half percent and you go to australia you're paying six and eight percent if you go to america you're paying six to ten percent to sell your house in these in these countries so we've become the cheapest but the difficulty is how do we continue to provide a similar sort of service at a level which is effectively about a sixth of the the cost and um, to do that um it's 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 possibly un, uh, unsustainable in that model so something probably has to change then doesn't it possibly although if you look at the european housing market the number i mean my perception is you'll know the stats more than I do, Jim, but uh, Britain is very much a home-owning nation. Yeah. We like to buy our houses. In Europe, it's far, far less uh, less so. And so that's why the cost's so high. Absolutely. Because when it's done, it has to it has to cover all the overheads involved in, in doing that process. So we're more a volume-orientated uh, um, country in terms of home ownership. Um we don't, uh, if you go to the continent as well, there tends to be a lot of people that it's accepted practice now to rent. And it always has been for years. And yet in this country, we still, almost to a degree, um, the, the I would say the middle to older generation still stigmatise renting as a problem. Absolutely. And yet, if you work out the way if you should rent or buy, often most answers to that is you should actually continue to rent rather than actually buy a property. But we still have this impression that you're building wealth when you buy a property, but the reality is you're not building wealth at all. Would that surprise you? You're actually just the same as everybody else because the house you live in is only used for the what you live in and the value goes up of that house while you're in it, but the property that you choose to move to next goes up as well at the same time. So you're actually not making any money out of your property if you actually continue to live in it Hence the reason why on, in, in the continent and in America and anywhere else in the world, the, people tend to rent because it doesn't make actual financial sense to buy a house and actually invest all that money into it because of the, the cost to buy, the cost to sell, the cost to maintain and all the rest of it goes in between and, and the cost of the mortgage and actually being committed to that mortgage and not having the flexibility to move. I mean, Think about this. I was reading an article on this the other day, actually, and watching the guy talk about it. But he was saying, if you think about it, would you continue to stay in the current house you're in if you just rented it? Or would you choose to move to a better area or a better or a different type of house now? Would you have stayed in it for the last 20 years? And most people would say, absolutely not. I would have just moved to another house and got a better one because it would have suited my needs. Um, but we're entrenched in this culture to sit in this, the, the current house we've got because we think it's going up in value and making us money. But it's not. It doesn't make you any money at all if you continue to live in it. No, but we also have this culture of the property ladder. It's called a ladder for a reason, you know. Yeah. And and we we educate all the generations that and you know parents strive to be able to give their kids their first bit of money for a deposit, and then the onus is on you then to trade up and trade up and trade up and trade up and move house continuously as as often as you possibly can yeah. until you have achieved an asset 
you know, as 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 valuable an asset as you possibly possibly yes. can. And yet we all know how stressful moving house is. So we are educating our kids to impose upon themselves this regular burden of stress in order and to debt. accumulate. And debt as well. University, go to university, take student loans, rack up as much debt as possible. Fantastic, you've got a great job, but you've got all this debt. Then get a house, get a mortgage, great, you've got all this debt. And yet, you know, when you go to places in the continent, in Europe and stuff like that, it's completely different. Dave actually says a really good point here. Awareness and perceptions of wealth in the UK has been flawed for generations. And uh, and I genuinely believe that is, that is somewhat that at some point there's there's some truth in that. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, let's wrap up there, guys. Uh, final thoughts on this. You know, should we? Uh, uh, what is your thoughts overall on extra bedrooms? Should we be telling the older generation get out of your homes, get away into a retirement home, and let the younger generation take your house? What What's your thoughts on that? I still think Jimmy should move in with his mother-in-law. <laughs> 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 I think we should correct societal de decline um, and share houses. Jimmy? Um, definitely not. I think it's um, we need to be building more houses and the correct type of housing is key. Um, yeah. So we can stimulate the market or get more property on the market, which will then, I think, take care of that issue, which he's trying to solve there. Yeah. Uh, personally, I think we should actually be building more affordable accommodation and actually the government should be taking the lead. And they have. They're building another 100,000 houses over the next 10 years. But that's only 10,000 every year. And we know we've got a shortfall of 5,000 already. So you're on the back foot before you've started and you've still got to make up for the shortfall you've had over the last 10 years, which is the 50,000, because you've not been building enough. So we're only 50,000 in. We've got the shortfall. So we're, we're only spinning wheels by doing that. So we need to build a lot more um, as a result of that. I mean, in this this current five housing market, the issue isn't selling your five home. It's actually ensuring you find the right next home to buy. So, you know, feel free to drop us a line, speak to us potentially to sell your home or get an idea of what you should be doing. If you're thinking about selling next year, you shouldn't be waiting until next year and thinking about it and then doing something then. You should be talking to us now in order to prepare to get the right facts and information because it takes a number of sources to get all that together. And once you get that together, you can make a decision based on facts rather than what your friends think. That's often the case, isn't it? Peer pressure from everybody else. Yeah. Okay, and on that note, thanks very much for joining us. If anybody's got any questions on the rerun, please feel free to message us direct and make comments in the, in the blog below. Bye-bye um, for now. Bye. Thanks, guys.